God has sent Christ and through Him we who were dead have been raised. And not just raised, but the end of that passage there, Paul begins to talk about how how God has not only made us alive, but has raised us with Christ and has promised us the inheritance that Christ has been given. We go back into chapter 1 and he he talks about Christ sitting at God's right hand. And then in chapter 2 he tells us we will be raised with Him. That, I think, was very specifically talking about us as individuals. But the passage today in beginning in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter, Paul talks about something that we don't think about very often. The fact that this salvation that we have through Christ is... It's not just about us as individuals, but it is about God and His people. It is about God setting aside for Himself a people. God making a family. God building a house. And so if you're able this morning, I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we begin reading Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of of promise, having no hope and without Christ in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in, the fle- in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. He, he switches gears here. And he, is, he has told them about the salvation that they have individually in Christ, but he, he switches and he, he, he begins to make this very broad statement about 
the forgiveness and the privilege that they now have in Christ. He, he starts out there by telling them first, remember where you were. It, it parallels very nicely back in chapter 2 and verse 1 when he, when he says, and you were dead in your sins that you once walked. And now he says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Remember this one time, remember before when you were separated from God. That you were outside of his family. That you were, you were at a disadvantage, he says. He actually names for them five disadvantages in verse 12. He says, remember at one time, in verse 11, you were in the flesh. Remember these five things that you were disadvantaged. Look at the first one in verse 12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. If we go back and we look at the Old Testament and we begin to uh, try to wrap our mind around the theology of the Old Testament and, and the flow of the Old Testament, what it is saying, what we see is there are two very distinct groups of people. There are the people that God has called out for Himself, the nation of Israel, the Jews, if you will. God has called them out. He has separated them or separated them from everyone else. He has a special relationship with them. He has given them His law. He has provided for them countless miracles. He has delivered them from Egypt. And He has set them up in a place that He had promised them long ago. And then there's everybody else. You have this small nation that in many respects is very insignificant in the course of history. And you have everybody else. The problem is that if you are a part of God's people, you're, you're good to go. But if you are separated from God, if you're a part of that everyone else, if you're what the Bible refers to as Gentiles, then you're out of luck. You have no special relationship with God. You don't follow after Him. You have not been given His Word. You have not been given His commandments. And so you are just out of luck. And so the first disadvantage for them is they have been separated from Christ. Who was Christ? Well, He was a Jew. He came through, uh, he came through the Jewish traditions. He came knowing the Jewish law. He was raised in a Jewish household. He was born to Jewish parents. He was a Jew. And these Gentiles, they had nothing. They were separated from Christ. He had not come to them when he came. The second thing, they're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Where was salvation found? Who did God have a special relationship with? It was his people. He wasn't over here having a special relationship with this group or with this nation or with these people. No, he is having a special relationship with his people with Israel, with his nation. And they're separated from that. They're lost. They don't have that point of contact. Look at the third one. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Where did God's people know that they had a special relationship with him? Where did they know that they had salvation? 
Well, it was in the fact that God had made a covenant with Abraham. That God had made a covenant with Moses. That God had made a covenant with David. They knew that they had a standing with God. They knew that they could have a relationship with God because they had those covenants. They had those promises from God. What did the Gentiles have? Nothing. Most of them had never even heard of God. Most of them had no idea who He was. We see time after time in the Old Testament where God makes it a point so that people would know that there is a God in Israel. He does things so that people will know that somebody is at work in Israel. Most of these Gentiles had a multitude of gods. They had gods that they called on each and every day for different things, but they did not know the Lord God. So they were unaware of the covenant. Fourthly there, they have no hope. Many of them may have not known that. Unfortunately, many people who are alive today, many people who live in our community, many people we pass when we go to Walmart, when we go to the mall, that sit beside us at our job, many of them have no idea that they have no hope. Many of them just go through this life and they do not spend a lot of time thinking about what is ahead. Paul makes the point very clear that for the Gentile who was outside of God's family, who did not have Christ, who did not have the covenants of promise, they had no hope. Why? Fifthly, and that sums it all up, number five, and without God in the world. They had no clue who God was. You think about that, it was not always so. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you see that there was a point in time where people knew who God was. They understood what He had done, but as time passed, we see that that goes away. We see when we come to the flood of Genesis that what had happened, the world had just went its own way. Everyone was going out and doing their own thing. They had turned their backs to God. As a matter of fact, in the world, God can only find one righteous person. These people who Paul is writing to are not that far removed from being in this position. These people at Ephesus were the Gentiles who Paul is writing to. They did not know God. They had no hope. It's a pretty desperate situation to be in. The sad thing is that most people in our world today if they have given any thought at all to what is ahead of them past this life, what is to come after, after they die. Most of them do not have a conclusive decision about what is ahead. They, they have not come to the point where they know that there is hope. Most of them have or most of them are going through this life and there's nothing. There's nothing ahead of them. They don't see hope. And the Ephesians were in that same category. But something changes. They go from being once separated from God 
to, to something radically happening. And Paul makes that transition in verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were once for all have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who's he talking? He's no longer talking about just the average Ephesian church member who is listening. He's not talking to them and said, you know, you were once lost and now you are saved. He's not repeating himself from earlier in this chapter. Because he's already told them that. He's already said you're once dead, but you have been brought near in Christ. You have been saved in Christ. What is he talking about? He is talking about the fact that the gospel, that this thing that God has done in sending Christ, is not just available to these one or two people here in Ephesus, but that God has sent Christ so that all of those who were far off, all of those who were far away from God, could be brought near. See, for the Gentiles, salvation was a long way away. For the Gentiles, it was so far that they could not get there. They could not make themselves a part of what God was doing. But now through Christ, all people have been brought near. Now, I'm not saying that God has brought all people to Himself, but guess what? Salvation is now available where it once wasn't. He says, but now in Christ you who are once far off have been brought near by his blood. For he himself, verse 14, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you look throughout the Old Testament, what you see is here is God's people and they are at war constantly with people who aren't. And even at times where they aren't in physical war, where people are going to the battlefield against each other, what we constantly see is the animosity that is there. The Jews were awfully proud people. And in some respects, they had good reason to be. They had been chosen by God. And so they like to brag about that fact. They like to look down upon the Gentiles because of that fact. Look what happens when Jesus spends any time with people who are considered sinners or Gentiles. He is mocked and he is questioned because how and why would you go to them? Why would you go and spend time to these people who are far off from God? The unfortunate thing for us as believers is so often we look at our own salvation and we become very prideful about it. We look at other people who are still far off from God, who have not come into God's family, and we, man, we look down on them. We so often will forget where God has brought us from and we look down on the people whom God has yet to work in their heart and in their life. Instead of being humbled by the fact that God has called us, instead of being excited about that fact and wanting to share it with others, we use it to to set up a barrier between us and, you know, those other people. But what, what Paul says here 
is as opposed to the cross now separating people, what it has done is brought people together. He says that he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you go back into verse 11, what you see is what happened when, when we were separated from, into circumcision and uncircumcision, what had done that, what had been made in the flesh by hand. It's something that people had done. So what does Jesus do in verse 14? He breaks down this barrier that has been set between circumcision and uncircumcision, Jew and Gentile. He breaks that down in his flesh by going to the cross, by shedding his blood. This wall is broken down. That's good news for us. Because as far as I know, all of us in this room are Gentiles. We do not have Jewish parents. We do not come from a Jewish heritage. What we are being told here is that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has brought us near. God no longer has a particular people that is based on ethnicity, that is based on where you were born or where you grew up, but rather it is based on the salvation that he provides in Christ Jesus. We have been brought near he does that verse 15 by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two now this is not telling us that that jesus has done away with everything in the old testament it doesn't tell us that he's done away with the commandments that god gave before but think about in the old testament what was the punishment for disobeying God? What was the punishment for not following the commandments that God had given? Well, rather, it, it was death. If you didn't follow what God said, if you didn't do what God said, you died. That was your punishment. God was holy. God is perfect. God is never changing, and so that was his demand. If we disobeyed him, we would die. But what does the New Testament tell us? What is Christ's promise? It is the promise of life. We are imparted life through Christ. So he has done away with this, this law of commandments that is expressed in ordinances because that ordinance was you die if you don't obey me. Now it is through my flesh through my blood you can have life he does this so that he can take the two men one who is a jew one who is a gentile the two who are separated and he can take them and make them into one god's purpose God's plan in sending Christ was to unify people where they had been separated. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he is dealing with this problem where Jews and Gentiles are still at odds with each other. When we looked at the book of Galatians, we saw that that was the fact. That, that there was still this idea that you needed to become a Jew to be saved or, or that you needed to be like other people. You needed to do like what they were doing to be saved. And, and Paul says that's, that's crazy. I think the unfortunate thing is while we don't deal with a Jew and Gentile divide within our churches here 
in America most of the time, what we do deal with is the fact that we, we still want to have that divide present. We want to look at other people who do things differently than us, and we want to say, you know what, they're not even, they're not doing it right. They need to do it like us when, when Christ has called us together as one body. And yet so often we still let things like race, we still let things like our economic status separate us from fellowshipping with other believers. And what Paul says is that Jesus has put that to death. He has, look at the word he uses in verse 16, thereby killing the hostility. And might reconcile us to God in one body, meaning the church, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, I don't think we get a good grasp of this because we don't see it played out very often or, or at all. But there was a genuine hatred among people who were believers because they were different. Because they looked different because they came from a different background, they, they couldn't get along. They fought each other. And what, what Paul says is, listen, Christ has died to bring us together, to bring us together into functioning as one body. He comes in verse 17 and preached peace. And look who he preaches to, to those who are far off, the Gentile, and peace to those who are near, the Jew. Guess what? In the end, it didn't matter someone's background. What they needed was Christ. What they needed was His forgiveness. What they needed was His love. Some of you here have been in church your entire life. Some of you were on the roll before you were ever born. I know that's a real thing. It used to happen in Baptist churches. We're all about the numbers. Some of you have come to Christ recently. Some of you were far, far off, and God has brought you very near. There's some of you here today who are still far, far off. You have not come to Christ. You are far, far in a way. What what this passage says is that God's purpose and what he did in Christ was to bring us all together. Whether you have always been near, because that was the Jews. They had always been close by. God had always had something to do with him. He'd always been working with them. And, and, and then you had the Gentiles who were far, far away. And, and Christ dies for both to bring them together. He wanted them to have peace. He wanted to kill the hostility. Why? So that in verse 18, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you realize that anywhere you go in the world today, it doesn't matter the language that someone speaks, it doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter their background, it doesn't matter any of that. Every person in the world has the exact same access to God as you do. Every single person. It doesn't matter if this morning they woke up 
and they have prayed there five times to Allah today. It doesn't matter if they woke up in India and their house was full of these things that you and I would see as trinkets and they worship them as God. Because Christ has died, those people, if they will call on his name, have access to God. It's not through a prayer rug, turning toward Mecca and bowing. It's not toward the trinkets that sit in their house where they bow down. But if they will call on the name of Christ, they have access to God. And so often I believe that you and I look at people like that and we believe that they are so far away, that they are so far gone that they could never turn to God. We read the comments of prominent atheists today who believe that everything we think about God is foolishness and yet God can draw them near. We both, those who are far away and those who are close, have access to God. So we were once separated, we have been brought near, but look at, look at what he says here as he, as he finishes out this chapter. Look at what he says about our condition now. Remember back earlier in chapter 2, you were dead, you have been made alive, and you have been raised with Christ, right? So God doesn't simply stop with making us alive when we are dead. So here in this part of chapter 2, we are dead, we are far off, but God doesn't just bring us near. That would be enough, right? Being brought near to God would be enough. It would be adequate. It would take care of our needs. But that is not where our God stops. Look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, those are not green men from outer space, just to clear that up for you. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You once were a stranger. You once were an alien. This once was a foreign place. If you go back and think about it in the case of Israel, they are a land-based people. That is why even today they are fighting over land in the Middle East. Because it's important. And so when you came from the outside, when you came from another part of the world and you came to Israel, you were a stranger. You went into a different place. You went into a place where they worshipped a God who you, not, you had not heard of. And also, you are not really welcome there. If you go back and you look at the temple, there would be on occasion Gentiles who would want to worship in the temple. There are people just like there are today who they just follow after anything and everything. And there would be some times when Gentiles would just... They would follow on the God of Israel, and that would be the one who they're going to worship. But when they would go to the temple, they could not go in to the place where the Jews went to worship. They had to stay outside. They had their own court, they had their own place where they could go, but they could not go in. 
Now, only one Jew in the entire country had complete access to God where he could go into the holiest place in the temple. But all the Jews could get a lot closer than those Gentiles. They didn't have access. They were a stranger and an alien. But God says, now that you are in Christ, there's nothing to stop you at this court of the Gentiles. You can go all the way in. Why? Well, because look, you are a part of my household. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, no longer are you an outcast, but now you can come in. Now you can come into where God is and you can hear what God has to say. You can pray to God. You can dwell on the things of God because you have access. Look what this is built on. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. How do we have this? How do we have this ability? It's because we have been built on this foundation in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Folks, if you read that, you can't come away with it understanding that it's just talking about you. It says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. Friends, that is not talking about my life as an individual. That is not talking about your life as an individual. Why is it not talking about that? Because we as believers in Christ do not function as individuals. The first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 10, that was talking about you. This is talking about us. It's talking about us as the church of Christ. The church's foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Friends, what do we pick up and read on Sunday morning to know about God? We pick up the witness of the prophets and the apostles. Who is our cornerstone? It is Christ himself. Peter asked him about the church. Peter asked him, or rather Jesus asked Peter about who do people say that I am. And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. What was he talking about? Was he talking about Peter? Yeah, to some extent, but what was he mainly talking about? He was talking about himself. Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, that on that, the church would be built. Why does that matter? Why does it... Why is that important? It's because, friends, we should never get to the point where we think that we can function by ourselves. Because you can't. You may think you can. You may think you can go off and do your own thing, that you can be a believer out there on your own with nobody else, but you will fall quickly. You'll fall quickly because we have been called together as a body, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, and we function in that manner. It's kind of ironic that on the day we hand out all these nomination cards, this is where we're at. I can't plan that well. Trust me, I'm lucky I can plan enough to wear some clothes on most Sundays. 
I appreciate that. But think about what this is saying. This is saying that, that we, even though we are different, even though we all come from different backgrounds, even though we have all come out of different situations, that we have been brought together no longer as strangers and aliens, which we once were. As Gentiles, we would have no access to now to the point where we can go past the court of the Gentiles. We can go past the court of the Jews. We can go past any other place and we can go past a curtain that has been torn and enter into the holiest of holy. We can enter into the place where the presence of God dwells. And He is growing us together as a body into a holy temple. We like to say from time to time that our bodies are our temples because that's where God dwells. And that is verse 22. But verse 21 says that we gathered are being made into a holy temple in the Lord. Church, my friends, is important. It is important for us as we are gathered together to represent Christ and see ourselves as a holy temple that He is building together. We have been joined together. You're not here by chance. Some of you have never, you've never been here before. You've never stepped foot inside this church, but I believe today we have all been brought together for a purpose. And as we join together as Christ's body, as He gathered, uh, gathers us together as members of His body, He is growing us into something. But I don't want to leave you out. Look at the last verse. He says in verse 22, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verse 21 is about us corporately. But verse 22 talks to you. And it says that what Christ's purpose is, is to bring you in as a part of the church. You are not an add-on. You know, sometimes when we have a house and we have too many kids, I'm guilty of that. Um, what do you have to do? You have to do an add-on, right? And sometimes add-ons don't look right. Like, sometimes you can tell. Now, it happens to be that my bedroom is an add-on of the parsonage. It, it used to be a carport, if I understand correctly. And whoever did it did a great job. Because when you drive past, it's, it's hard to notice. You get inside and you can kind of tell. But, but driving past, it looks good. But sometimes when we do an add-on, you look at that house and go, that ain't right. Something, something has happened here. See, that's not how God's family works. That's not how the body of Christ works. Because what he does when he adds on is he tears out a place and builds it back perfectly. I'm not saying he tears stuff out and throws it away, but he arranges everything so that when you look at it, you go, that's right. Somebody did a good job. And, and then when he adds on more, he, he, he tears out the section and he puts everything back and you look at it and you go, he did a good job. That looks, that looks perfect. And maybe he adds up and maybe he adds out and he goes to the back and he goes to the front, however he adds on, but he continues adding on. Friends, we are not an addition 
That doesn't look right. But rather, he says, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is continuing to build his house. And as he builds it, it is a place for his Spirit to dwell. Unfortunately, friends, we live in the United States where we have been told that everything is about us as individuals. That it's all about us, it's all about me, it's about how much money I can make, it's about what I can do, it's about my fame, it's about my fortune. That's what we're told about. And so we think, if we get our heart right, if we get our mind where it needs to be, if the Spirit is dwelling within us, if we're doing what we're supposed to, that we're being God's temple. But my friend, we are together in this. There may be some days you don't like that. You think, I'm going to go join with somebody else and I'm going to go be their addition. That's fine. It's fine if you think that way. But that's not going to make it any better. Because there's people there that are messed up too. And I've been in a couple churches I could name with people I could name who are a lot more messed up than any of you. They know who they are. God bless them. Um, we need to make sure that we see our purpose in this church as being together as a body. Because every time we are, God does something phenomenal. And every time we're not, we're weak and ineffective. Friends, see that, that God has brought you in, that God has, has built you in. That God wants to use you and that he's doing something great. If we do that, we're going to see God do some awesome stuff. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we... We're so privileged. God, we're privileged because you have, you have called us together. You have, God, you have made us a body. We, we don't have to function out on our own. We're, we're not a, a lone Christian out there trying to save the world, but rather, God, we are a church. A church that is comprised of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. God, we are a church here locally. God, that is a family. God, that you have called together to function as, as one body, as a temple, as a place that you can come and dwell. And God, we are so appreciative of your presence. Lord God, I know there are those here who are not a part of your body. God, they never placed their faith and trust in you. God, they, they've never depended on you for their hope and their life. God, they're far off. But God, through, through Christ, they can draw near. They can come to know you. And God, my prayer is that you would speak to their heart now. That you would draw them to yourself that you would show them your love and compassion. 
that, God, you would give them hope. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us life. We thank you for your love. We ask this this morning in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing in just a second, and as we do, my hope is that this morning, if you are a part of this church, you've committed your life to Christ, you've committed your life here, that you'll pray, that you'll pray for us as a family, that you'll pray for us as as the ones God has called together, that we will be a temple where He will come and dwell, that we will be a place where His Spirit is welcome, not only where it's welcome, but when He comes, He moves us. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're not a part of the body. Not just this group here, but, but and He talks about us having a place with, with the saints, us having this privilege of being with Him. But that's through being His. If you don't know Him this morning, I invite you to come. I would love to share with you how you could know Him. How you could trust in Him this morning. Would you stand with me as we sing?